Amen. You guys can have a seat. What does it look like for God to be madly in love with us? Um, to me, I often think about um, God's pursuit of me when I have not acted lovely towards Him. Um, it does almost seem mad. It, it seems almost irrational. It seems almost um, like it's a love that's out of control, but that in itself is the beauty. It, it's, it's a love that's absolutely in control. It's, it's the decisions and the words and the message that God gives us so often, consistently, and He comes to us. And He does it in ways that are recognizable and and, and they defy our own actions. When we, in fact, live unlovingly towards God, He is madly in love with us. Um, I have never been um, what um, ha has ever been described as um, uh, a trophy man. Um, it may be hard for you to believe. Um, but, but I've never seen myself. I've never woken up and looked in the mirror and thought, today's the day somebody's going to pursue you. Um, I, I mean, I was, I pulled every desperate trick in the book to get the one wife that I have and I'm not letting go. Um, so really the thought of that we would be irrationally pursued by God is just almost, um, out of our normal day to day thought system. Um, but as, as best you can, as best you can apply that and, and say that and, and hear that in your own thoughts on a regular basis. When you hear the truth of God's word and, and, and it sounds so genuine, remind yourself, that's about me. Personalize it. Because it is. I mean, this is, this is a desperate love relationship. It's awesome. Um, last week, we started a series uh, in the Gospel of John, and we're going to be in this um, for, for an extended period of time, and we'll step out of it for um, a little bit here and there. But last week, um, we talked about the, the goal, the purpose that God had put on John's heart to write this gospel because there's three gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that are the synoptics seen together. They have a flow to them. And John is kind of the, the, the gospel that seems to more stand alone. And, and at the end of this gospel, with God doing so much in John's heart, he just... He lays it out in chapter 20. He just says, you know what? Here's the purpose of, of why God has put this on my heart to write it. And he says that these things are written <clears throat> so that you will believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that in him you can live a life full of his power. There's, there's two goals with this book. Number one, that the, that the things that we're shown, the exact things we're shown are enough, are, are actually enough, for us to believe, not, okay, kind of accept it, not listen to it and tolerate it, but really fully believe. I mean, put our full life's weight into that scripture, that truth. To, to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, Savior of this world, and, and to live the life that he calls us to live. Now, um, what is that life going to look like? We're going to find out as we go through it. In fact, this introductory chapter, this, this first section that in, in English translations is called chapter one. It wasn't written in chapters, but, but it's designated that way. We're, we're still in a little bit of introductory mode. And, and i, I got to be honest with you. Um, I, introduction is never my favorite message. It's never the one that I'm really ready to sink my teeth into and, and come up and preach. But there's just something about even just the way that, that God really puts on John's heart to just introduce this amazing gospel um, that's, that's so rich. 
last week we did the first 18 verses, and we talked about just the, the, the incredible meaning that's there in who Jesus is. Jesus eternal. That, that he, was, he was before anything we can conceive, and that just by his function, things just appeared and happened and, and were made out of nothing. We talked about how that, how that flowed into our lives and who he is to us. And, and there was great connections, even those first, first to 18 verses, that, that this, this all-powerful, this, this Savior Jesus doesn't detach himself from us as his creation. And Jesus, as, as, as the Savior that we read about in these Gospels and that's referenced and pointed back to in the rest of the New Testament and is actually pointed forward at, uh, out of the Old Testament, he wasn't the scapegoat from God. He, wasn't like, he, he didn't draw the short straw to come save us and come to live this life. Jesus is God, so it, it wasn't God sending someone else. It was God coming himself to this earth. The rest of this chapter steps one step from here's who Jesus is, let's talk about really believing in him into some life things that happen and how to really live life in his power through him. So we kind of see both of these purposes in this first chapter. Next week, we're going we're gonna to dive um, just head first into the very first miracle that Jesus did. Uh, as John often calls it, a sign. So every time there's a miracle, there's a purpose, there's something to be shown, something to be seen. Uh, so we're going to be diving in there next week. This week, we're going to be um, in, in this second half of first, I mean, the second half of John, chapter one, um, and then we're going to come to a point where we're going to wrap everything up, and then we're really going to have fun because we're celebrating some amazing people this, um, this morning that have decided to follow Jesus in baptism. Baptism is the outward sign that we are a Jesus follower. Um, so when people get baptized, um, if you're a low-key church attender, I'm um, going to need you to kind of like get a little bit something this morning that's not your normal low-keyness, okay? Because we really want to celebrate with these folks. Um, NFL season is start, so it just you know, kind of use that as your, your ramp up, but this is so much better than the NFL could ever be. This is Lives Live for Jesus, so we really want to celebrate this this morning with these folks. And you're going to hear a little bit from them, um, not all their story, not everything from their life, but we uh, film videos just to kind of give you a little bit of insight uh, into what God's done in their life. So we, um, you, you get to hear a little bit of snippet of their story uh, before they get baptized. So I'm, I'm looking forward to all that stuff. The transition that I just mentioned to you that, that's made in, in the book of John goes really from looking very deep into Jesus into looking into some others' lives. <clears throat> the first one that we peek into is a guy named John the Baptist. Interesting that we're talking about and doing baptism this morning. John's ministry was one that he kind of came ahead of Jesus, and baptism was an active part of what he was doing. John's whole purpose, his whole, his whole method, his whole preaching shtick was um, prepare. In other words, his heart was God is getting ready to say something, do something in this world. He believed that it wasn't totally in the future, that it was really, it was close, like it was getting ready to happen, and his, his whole heart's cry was, listen now, prepare now, get your lives to where you can really hear this. Um, and, but John didn't follow the normal path to being a great, famous public speaker. Um, John went away from the public eye straight into the woods. Now, I've never been a real, like, outdoors, woodsy, hunter kind of guy. I know there's like, a lot of guys in the church. I ran into a guy yesterday, and he just, I mean, he was, like, almost salivating. He's like, do you realize today's the first day, uh, first day of something, bow hunting something? 
Okay, yes, clearly you know what's going on. Uh, summary is uh, man won, once again, animals died. Okay, that's just kind of like that's, that's what happened yesterday. And like he's just, I mean, he's red, he's amped up. And I'm listening to him, and I'm like, this is, I, I can't relate to this. I had friends in high school that would call me and say, hey, man, let's go hunting. All right, well, all right, what, what are we going to hunt? Uh, and they would just call out something that would seem too fast for me to shoot at, but it just they would say, all right, here's what we're going to hunt. All right, well, what time do I need to be there? Uh, be here at 4.30. No. <laughs> you misunderstand. I hunt sleep at 4.30. That's what I hunt. In fact, I'm really good at killing sleep at 4.30. So they would, I said, well, what, what are we going to do? Well, like, we've got clothes for you to wear because they knew I didn't have anything. I was the city kid in the, in, in, at Eastern Guilford, and, like, I didn't know what I was doing. You know, we, we got clothes you can wear. We got stuff you can put on, and don't worry. Like, we got everything. Well, what is everything? Explain everything to me. Well, we're, we'll spray you down with this stuff. Well, what is it? Well, it's, it's, it's deer pee. Ew, why, why do I need to smell like this animal's bathroom? I don't get it. Well, that's so that he won't smell you. Oh, he'll smell me because I'll smell me. Me and John the Baptist, we, we weren't on the same, we weren't in the same seminary. We weren't, we, we weren't in class together. We weren't on the same track to be a public speaker. John went straight to the woods. He dressed crazy, he ate crazy, and he talked loud, and he spit hard when he preached. Far more than even me, and I apologize, by the way, but a lot more than I do. And, and the crowd started gravitating towards him, not because of his style, but because of the genuine message that he really preached. And he preached it hard and heavy. And this question came up because he didn't follow the normal roads to success in public speaking. In the religious culture, they couldn't figure him out. They didn't understand him. He was an anomaly. And very simply, they finally just broke the ice with one simple three-word question. And um, right after the 18 verses we read last week, verse 19, it says that the Levites just asked him finally, who are you? <clears throat> they wondered. <clears throat> they really wondered. They thought maybe he was a reincarnated version of a former Old Testament prophet. Like the words and the message that he had had some fire to them. And John was really clear about who he wasn't. Uh, just like in the song that we sang in worship, um, the song We Are No Longer Slaves, it says that, that I'm no longer a slave to fear, I am a child of God. You know, there's two parts of, of shaping our identity in Christ. One is knowing who we are in Him, but one is knowing who we are no longer, or who we aren't. For John, he was not just confident in who he was, he also knew he wasn't. He didn't have a problem saying, no, I'm not one of those famous people, because had he just said yes the, I mean, the credit and the fanfare and everything would have just swarmed in had he just said yes one time. He realized it's more faithful to say, no, I'm not in those scenarios than it is to get credit for me. Okay? So this is his simple response. In verse 23, he says this. He said, I am a voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, just as Isaiah the prophet had said. He said he was a voice. I mean, out of all the things that he could have characterized himself as, as all the descriptive words he could have used about who he was as a speaker, as an, as an itinerant uh, traveling speaker, uh, what did he say he was? Was he, was he um, a, a good guy? Was he a father? Was he a husband? Was, he said, I, I'm, I am a voice. Simply put, John was confident in that God him, had called him to be a message. Notice, not just to deliver a message, 
but to be that message. And I don't know if that's the way that you see yourselves as a message, but you know, you really are, and I am too. It's, it's not an identity that is necessarily always kind of romantic to embrace because we have to always look at what is the message that I'm, that I'm communicating. <clears throat> but as a believer in Jesus Christ, as somebody that's saved, you're a voice. And, and, and I want you to grab onto that because that tells us that it's not just the believer, it's not just the Jesus that we believe in, but it's also the life that we live in Him. This morning, um, my oldest son is a, a great helper. I mean, he, he works really, really hard. He will help me with anything, and it, re- and it rarely ever matters what it is. Um, of, of all my sons, he, he will give up something he wants to do if I just say, son, can you help me? That's just, it's just God has put it in his heart, and I'm grateful because, I, quite honestly, I need a lot of help. <laughs> I tend to overcommit myself, and I need somebody, and this, is, like, this, this guy is, is a great friend of mine. And a great help. And he does this morning, he did this morning what he does a lot of Sunday mornings. He gets up, um, no complaint, and, and comes to church. He gets up better than I do on Sunday mornings. Like, I groan and moan because I'm tired. And I say, hey, man, you ready? Boom, he's up. Because that's really what his heart is. And when we were in here this morning, there was a few things that needed to happen. And because um, some stuff just wasn't clicking right away, I did what I often do, which was I speak with a sharp tone. I just pow, I just say something. And I don't really think through what I'm saying, but I just, just say it. And I could tell that what I said had an effect. And because I've been really studying this, and oftentimes if, you know, if, you, if you've experienced God's Word like I have, when you're really studying it, it seems like He just keeps putting it right in front of your face, and you're just like, oh, thanks, God. <laughs> and I became very aware in that moment that I, again, was a message. And my message was not one of Jesus, one of grace, one of love, it was the message of Derek and frustration. So in that moment, I, I, I did what I felt like would have been the most corrective measure that I could take to be more of a message of Jesus. I said, hey, man, would you step outside with me? And I looked him face to face, and I hugged him, and I looked him face to face again, and I said, I'm sorry. I said, you didn't deserve that. You were helping. That was me. Because many times I do, I, I, I fail in very simple ways and also in great big ways to realize I, I, am, I am a message, and you are too. And John was okay with that. He embraced that and whatever that was going to mean. As we continue on, when we go down to verse, um, verse 28, I believe this is verse 29, it says the next day, this is after John had baptized Jesus, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one that I told you about. After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. I didn't know him, but I came baptizing with water so he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he rested on him. I didn't know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water told me, the one you see the Spirit descending and resting on, he is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and noticed them following him, he asked them, 
What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and you'll see, he replied. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. It was about four in the afternoon. Remember, we're seeing the second half of the great purpose of John and his gospel, that that it's this life that we live. It's so amazing. First of all, just in life, John embraced this idea of I am a message, and I'm okay with that. So my voice and my message and what I do matters. And out of that, out of that, he then sees Jesus coming down, and he begins to just point people again straight to him. That's him. That's him. And, and, and it comes out of just a genuine heart acknowledgement of really who Jesus is. Now, from a, from a theological standpoint, John says some really great things to help us to understand um, John, then the life of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, and even what we do in our life. John's message was before Jesus. He, he said, be baptized. Do this ceremonial cleansing of your sin. Do this to kind of really align your thoughts and your hearts to be able to hear what God's getting ready to do. We still baptize in the kingdom of God, but when we baptize, it represents the inward change in us, that that Jesus is our Savior, that we are symbolically buried with our old sin nature and then re-emerged new life, clean, living for Him. We baptize as as a sign that we have become part of the kingdom. Jesus baptizes with the Holy Spirit. John began to see these things, the the pieces of the puzzle falling into place. He says, listen, I know what I've been doing. I'm now looking into the future, but I also see the Savior that is going to be the very one that through his power will put his spirit in believers to be led by that spirit for the rest of their lives. John saw all these pieces coming together, but you know what's crazy? He says himself, in the beginning, I didn't see those pieces coming together. I, I didn't get it. Like I, I just knew that God told me to go say some stuff, to go preach, to go, to go deliver that message faithfully. You know what kind of freedom that opens up for us? That, it, that in believing Jesus to be Messiah, the Son of God, Savior of our life, and also starting to learn what it means to live out the life that we live in Jesus, it is okay. There is freedom in not knowing every single detail and how everything is going to work out. The whole picture doesn't have to be completely clear for us to go be obedient. John, who Jesus said out of his own words. Now, Jesus complimented John. He said there's none greater than him that has ever walked on this planet. Now, there are some people that give compliments, and we expect them to give compliments, right? Like somebody in your life, most of us, for us men, it's our mama. And we expect our mama to say good stuff about us. Because you know when your mama's talking trash about you, you are in a bad place in this world. Now, I'm coaching my youngest son in baseball right now. Tim Marika used to coach my oldest son in baseball. I'm now experiencing probably what Tim used to hear. I have parents that come up and I say, I ask questions probably like Tim asked. Hey, um, who's your son? What positions has he played? And, and it's amazing because all the kids that come out are all stars. They're amazing. Their parents will tell you all the great things they've done in baseball. And then you see what they actually can do. You watch them walk about three steps, and you're like, hmm, no. That fourth step's going to be the one that brings you down. You're going to hit the dirt after that fourth step. And especially if you try to combine that fourth step with throwing a ball. Don't worry about catching it right now. We just got to figure out throwing it, right? You expect certain people to compliment, but you, you do realize when Jesus compliments, Jesus, if he lied once, then he's not the Savior of this world. So everything's the truth. So when he says there's none greater than John, 
that have ever walked on the earth, consider the fact that John had to become okay with being God's message, but he also had to begin being God's message without seeing the whole big picture. And, and he said it. I didn't get it at first. And that's okay, because if, if that's who he is in Jesus' words, then this is a reasonable life for us to be able to live. The transition here shows the heart of John. He, he tells his disciples um, to look, there's Jesus. Well, that's a tough moment, isn't it? It's one thing to have my hands open to receive something from God, but it's another thing to open my hands to release something to God. Does that make sense? Like, hey, God, speak to me. Bless me. Do, I got my hands open. I'm ready. But to, but to open our hands to release, to, to really give a problem over to God or, or to say, God, I, I got I to open the control I have with my kids and give them to you. I got to open up the worry that I carry over my job and give that to you. Because that really shows the trust that we have in Jesus. To say, hey, listen, I'm, I'm not fully in control. I'm not the greatest thing that they can know. The greatest thing they know, God, is you. And John took the people that had been following him closely, and he said, that's Jesus, that's the Lamb of God. You need to look, you need to listen. And, then, and they left him. And John was okay with that. It would be a tough moment. What we finally see in this short section is this, that, that Jesus, as they ask him questions about where he was living, all these things, Jesus uses a phrase that comes up several times in John and really shows us what real evangelism is like, and it's basically this, come and see. See, for many of us, it, it almost relieves the pressure when it comes to salvation. If we can kind of organize an event or a, or, a, or a week or a day or a service and say, hey, listen, this is how we're going to kind of wedge people in and really kind of drive them into the gospel, and we need to kind of find a closer. We need to find somebody that will get up and tell them what to pray and when to pray it and what, and what to check on the card after it. But you realize that Jesus evangelistically, when, he, when it came to really Jesus communicating who he was and, and, and inviting people to know him and really come into a relationship with him, Jesus just says, come and see. Come and see. He, he, he just welcomed them in. See, the gospel is not meant to be something that we force people to. It's meant to be something that we show people and we engage in their lives and we welcome them in. For us to live like we believe that Jesus is Messiah and Son of God, then we'll also need to be people like Philip did right away where he said, hey, come and see, come and see. We're going to have to be people that are engaged in ourselves and that are willing to walk people into it and walk people through it just like we've been, we've been guided to. It's something we're all supposed to be participants in. This last section that I want to read to you is about one of the followers of Jesus, one of the disciples named Nathaniel. He was brought by Philip. And in this last section of verses, in verse 47 through 51, Jesus, it's, it's kind of missed on us, but Jesus is actually making a connection between two dots. Um, the dots are, one, he reaches way back into the Old Testament to a guy named Jacob who he, God renamed him Israel. This is the father, one of the fathers of the nation of Israel. He reaches way back and, and, and pinpoints the dot on Jacob and then reaches a little bit ahead even to his own self to say, this is the fulfillment of it. So Genesis 28, specifically when, when Jacob is at this place he names Bethel, is, is the key passage to read with this section of Scripture. This is what Jesus said. Then Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, and he said about him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. See, he was actually referencing, <clears throat> making a reference back to, back to Jacob. 
Because Jacob was a trickster. He was a deceiver. He was, he was somebody that gained by tricking someone. And the, what he's saying about Nathaniel is this. He's saying, hey, listen, this guy that's coming towards me, this is a guy that just generally has a heart to know and a heart to learn because Nathaniel said, like, he even said about Jesus, he's like, does anything good come from Nazareth? In other words, like, where, like based on where this guy is from, is this, is this even going to be worth listening to? It, it, just, it, was a, it was a question. It was a, okay, I'll go look because I want to follow the truth. And Jesus says to him, you, you got a heart for truth. And, and he draws him in with that statement. And then after that statement, because that really sincerely was Nathaniel's heart, he says this, how, how do you know me? How do you know me? And, and when we are beginning to really believe that Jesus not just died for us, but, but this is personal, this is aimed directly at us, we come to a place to where we really, we, we try to think through this. Jesus, how do you know me? Like, how, how is it that you really see me? How, how, can, you, how can you know these thoughts that, that are so deep in me that you seem to speak to so well? And we start to understand that, again, Jesus is God. God is all-knowing, he's all-powerful, and he's all-present. He's present everywhere. And in, in that existence, he has everything at his mind's touch and his mind's understanding. And this is what Jesus says to him. He says this, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now, what we don't have the details here is, is, is why this connected so deeply to Nathaniel, but it seems to connect really deeply. Maybe, maybe Nathaniel was sitting there underneath this fig tree, realizing and, and just in his mind processing through, God, I, just, I need you. I want to know the truth. I want to know what is my purpose. I, I want to I know you, God. And maybe it was in that moment he was really praying that to God that Jesus just kind of whispers in and says, hey, listen, remember that moment under the fig tree? I saw that. And that's a sweet moment in our spirit when we experience that in our own relationship with God. When we hear the truth of his word or we experience something, a conversation, and that's God whispering in going, I saw you. Because it's not just that he sees us. Because in seeing us, he knows us. And in knowing us, he then responds to us. Because this is a relationship. And he says this, Jesus responded to him, I'm sorry, after Nathaniel heard this, he said, Rabbi, um, Nathaniel responded, you are the son of God and you are the king of Israel. Jesus responded to him, do you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. Then he said, truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is what he says. He says, listen, did that grip your heart, Nathaniel? Like, did that get your attention? Did that kind of like do it for you in that moment? Is, is what I said, did that hook you a little bit? He said, because if that got you, you better buckle up, big boy, because you're going to see some stuff that's going to absolutely blow your stinking mind. See, there's this thing that happened with Jacob. He, he had a dream that God gave him. And in chapter 28 of Genesis, in that dream, there was a set of stairs that he saw basically lowered from heaven to earth. And when he looked on that set of stairs, there were angels going up and down on that set of stairs. It represents just the message and the purpose of God that was coming down because Jacob was directly in a line of promise that God said, I will make you a great nation. I will bless all people because of you. Jesus was coming through this line. 
And God was reiterating his promise generation after generation. He was keeping his promise generation after generation. And, and, and Jesus knew that Nathaniel would know this story. And this is what he's saying to Nathaniel. Nathaniel, I am that staircase. I am the connection between the Almighty God and you and your life. And that's so essential for us to know that, that if we want to live a life that is pleasing to God, that, that the connection is Jesus. Modeling our life after Him, knowing Him deeply, spending great amounts of time with Him. That, that is the connection. It's what Jacob missed. Jacob, Jacob woke up and he made the most irrational promise to God as if God needed a promise to him. It's like he, he heard from God and he felt like he just needed to say something back. <clears throat> you know what that looks like? That's, that's the eighth grade relationship where some guy confesses his love and some girl goes, I love you too. And ladies, you never meant it. And guys, all of us experienced it and we don't want to own up to it, but honestly, we probably did. Maybe not those two guys on the front row because they're good-looking guys. But, but other than those two guys, right? It's like, that's like everybody else experienced, okay? Just because it's like, all right, I got to say something here. And that's what Jacob did. He, he told God, he said, God, look, I promise you, if you will take care of me, you will provide for me if I have everything I need. And, and, and when life kind of comes full circle and you bring me back here, if I show up at this right place and I'm well and it's good, then yes, you are my God. And the whole time, God's just sitting there going, idiot. I mean, that's what I would do if I was God. But I mean, that, it's just in my mind, that's what he's saying. Because the promise wasn't necessary. God initiated the conversation. He said, look, I, I want you to be my people. I want to be your God. I will take care of you. I will do these things. And that's what Jesus wants Nathaniel to know. Look, I'm not saying come and see because you're going to have to carry the load. I'm saying come and see because of what I know that I can show you and I know what you're going to see. I told you, introductions aren't my absolute favorite messages to preach, but I love the book of John. And in this second half, I want you to see a couple things this morning. Number one, I want you to see this idea of message, that you're a voice, that your life, your decisions matter. And for some of us in this room, we have to understand that, that we are a voice. See, too many times we, we live in regrets of the past, and we have to realize at some point as we grow spiritually that, that the past truly never changes. But God keeps His promise and that He will do something good, but it will always be in the present and into the, the future. So if we spend all of our time being consumed and being worried and being stressed and being grieved by our past decisions, we'll never end up realizing the good that God can do now and shortly ahead of us, what he can redeem in that, and what that message will be like. I'm a professional, I'm sorry, sayer. A lot of husbands are. And sometimes we say it, and we don't even mean it yet. We don't even know yet what we're sorry for. Your voice will not just need to be a message of I'm sorry. It'll be a need to be a message of what God is doing now and what he's doing in your future as it continues traveling forward. It's essential. That you are a message and what your message will be. But it's also our mission. Our mission. In general, what, what, what is our mission? To be, like, to be like John. 
to follow some of the greatest feet that have ever walked this earth. When, when you're just dealing with people in general, in your life with your words and your actions and mine too, we just in big ways go, there's Jesus, that's him, that's what it looks like. Because you may not have personal conversations with everybody that you're around, but for the people that you do, like his disciples, when you know them, that's when we spend time in intentional conversations saying, listen, let me tell you exactly who that Jesus is, now go listen to him too. Build the confidence in people that they don't just have to hear it from our mouths, but they can hear it directly from him as well. And ultimately, ultimately, what I hope you hear out of the rest of this introduction is this, that Jesus is the connection point. He fulfills everything from the first moment of Scripture in Genesis to the last verse in Revelation. He is who we must decide if we believe in as Messiah and Son of God as Savior. And if we do, then it's in Him that we live our lives. Because if we believe Him to be that, we can't step away from that truth and go, ah, but I'll figure out the rest. It must all be attached and tied back to Him. That's our connection to God. It's going to be a fun book, y'all. It's going to be a lot of great times. And I hope you invite people, and I hope you engage in this. There's a couple of resources that I mentioned last week that the fullness of this week didn't allow me time to get those done. Those are top priority, getting those wrapped up and, and getting those out to you this week. Um, but, but I hope you got great anticipation for this book of John. And I hope you take the truth of God's word today, and it speaks to you. I can see some nods. I can see some facial expressions that I believe that God's speaking to a lot of people in this room. And, and I know that he's been speaking to me greatly as well. Prepare the way. Prepare the way. Uh, my, my house last night was interrupted by a sound. It was a scream. One of my sons, I'm not going to throw, throw him under the bus, but it was Tyler. And, and <laughs> Tyler likes to ride his scooter around the house. <clears throat> and he's got a certain path that he rides it in. And he's a multitasker. He can watch YouTube on the TV while he rides his scooter. But to do that, if you focus on YouTube, you can't necessarily focus on the scooter. Well, I had taken some things and moved them from our bedroom right outside the door to where our living room is. And as he was riding, he wasn't thinking about what could be in the way. And unfortunately, his scooter tires got tied in with my mess. And as he said, he fell and his elbow didn't go straight, but it went out about this far. And then, as he said, rolled around this way. I don't even know if that's humanly possible, but, but that was his general description. In fact, I probably should have asked my wife at some point this morning when she got to church how his arm is, but I am a horrible father, so I didn't. So as, as he's in pain, I rush to him. I'm trying to calm him down. I'm starting to try to work with him. I want to give him ice packs. I want to do all that stuff. But at this point, all I can do is treat it. I can't go back and change the fact that he, that he just absolutely took the hard fall over what was in his way. And if you want to invest time greatly right now in your life, take the wisdom of John, what he preached so passionately, and allow God to prepare the way. You want to hear. I want to hear what he's saying. I want to see and experience and come and see what he's doing. But there are always, when God is working, will be things that he needs to move out of the way so we can see him more clearly. I'm not saying that God won't attend to you if you don't. He will, like a good dad, he'll show up and he will work to calm you and he will work to nurse you back and he will, he will love and he will care for you. But in reality, the fall actually doesn't have to happen. 
as we spend time with him, as we listen to him, as we look to him, boldly ask, God, what needs to move? How can the way be clear right now for me to hear you well and see you work? Would you bow your heads for a second? <clears throat> In just a minute, we're going to um, go into the baptism part of our service. And um, as everybody kind of starts to slip back and, and prepare for that, My prayer is, is that through this series, God really speaks well, clearly, we hear Him, we pay attention, and we follow. Um, and in anticipation of Him moving, I want to be available, and others are available to you, not just to pray with you, but to really specifically talk about a relationship with Jesus. Because it is Him that is Messiah, is the Son of God. And in believing that, there is... There is a relationship to live in and to receive, a beginning of a relationship. The baptism that we're getting ready to do is a representation of that. It's a symbol that that relationship has started. But for you, I want to tell you how it can start. By believing in Jesus, that He died for your sins, that, that His life was necessary for you to know God. His death was necessary, but His resurrection was not just a show of power, but it was to prove that we could have new life in Him. In believing that and, and confessing Jesus as Lord. In other words, praying to God to say, God, I know that Jesus is, is, should be in control of my life, and I know that's who he is, and I want him to be. Because if you're like me, when you, get, when you got saved or when you get saved, you don't have it all figured out. You identify Jesus correctly by name, but it's a lifetime of him working through things in your life to really live like that and follow that. If this is your day to receive Jesus and you pray to God to say, God, I do believe and I want to give you my life, we want to know about that. You can check our Connect cards to let us know. You can come up to me after the service. Uh, uh, you can do that in a ton of different ways. But that is the most significant decision that you'll ever make. And what follows that is a life lived not just for Jesus, but amazingly enough, with him. With him. In other words, he doesn't leave. His spirit stays and it leads. And that's the life we want you to live in and what we want you to realize. God, thank you for these moments. And as we sing now, God, help us to put our minds, attention, and our hearts affection on you to honor what you give us in baptism, to show Jesus and to faithfully follow him. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Would you stand briefly as we sing?